0: Love talk radio.
1: Africa wealth center of the Africa Africa
2: center of the world. The of the world. Upper
3: world. Latitude zero. Longitude zero. zero. Planned Africa. by Africa. the Creator. Africa. The Africa. The Africa. was the first
4: man found Africa. on the earth. Africa. Africa. That earth the was the motherland.
6: at the White House in Washington, D.C.
7: For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
8: And your white great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather And your white grandfather raped my grandmother And your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father What kind of a fool would I have to be to say Come, my friend, to the white daughter and son
7: Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect.
8: We are at war! That's what I told you! I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigger don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here, in the land of the free? The message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. You don't surrender, they take your life. And I remember the movies my mama used to show me. What's name Remember the times when they bought and they sold you. you. That's what I told you.
2: That's what I told you.
0: The medical officers horribly
2: wounded
8: in a deadly crossfire. The police seemingly unable to rescue them in spite of several desperate heroic attempts. It's completely out of Brothers don't get guns to pack up on an ammunition. Now that they see that it's a critical condition, racism was here, but they didn't take it seriously. And then they said that I was crazy, violence escalating, and it's sad to see so many brothers being killed by the enemy. Mothers and daughters and fathers and sons? Why can't they see we couldn't win by the gun? Too late. The enemy's on the rise, and he sealed your fate. Brain is a weapon. technology section, The war drum is sounding. The tool is the record, The will and the skill of the black man, exact man, giving a hand to his brother man. A word to the wise, and I tell you once again: know your enemy from your friend.
7: strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. (laughs) That makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you no, know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's uh, no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color,
3: He's become one of us. This is Africa on the Move. As we continu- continue our journey down the road to liberation, we'd like to welcome everyone to African History Month, as many of us will say in the borders of the U.S. When we talk about history, we talk about lessons that we have learned and should have learned as to relate to our people's struggles. I'd like to just remind our listening audience some of the lessons that our forefathers and sisters have left us, such as Martin Luther King, Jr., when he said, the time is always right to do what is right. A Philip Randolph, a civil right activist, left a message. Freedom is never given, it is won. Let me repeat again. Freedom is never given, it is won. You must win it to be in it. If you watch Walsh once stated, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Those are some of the lessons that we should have learned and we have them to learn as it it relates to our history. I'm Brother Africa, your host. This is Africa on the Move. And like always, we will speak to the powerless and the powerful. We will provide you information so you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate the people and to help liberate humanity From all of the various forms of oppression. Not always, we lack the party, we lack the party. And we start our party out by first and foremost introducing you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. This is part two of Africa is Fighting on Many Fronts. We will discuss this particular theme. As well as other important things as you listen to this particular program. This program is under the banner of the African Awareness Association. And like always, if you would like to become a friend, supporter of Africa on the Moon Radio, you can send your flowers in to us by Cash App, dollar sign, capital L small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. We thank you. If you'd like to have a copy of this program or another program, please email us at at 2gmailcom So let's continue to travel down this road of liberation. We will now bring in our political panelists and this for today's program, we first would like to introduce Brother Haiki from the African Awareness Association, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haiki.
9: Brother Africa, thanks for having me.
3: My name is Haiki
9: <coughs> Haiki Kamathi Mashoki. Currently with African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is institution building. But certainly, one of the problems in terms of building an institution is to clearly identify. So many historical obstacles we have to overcome. I think one of the obstacles we have to certainly overcome is how the system actually operates, particularly the capitalist system. Uh, One of the things, you know, I I wrote briefly about in terms of the level of destruction that is implicit in in capitalism and how it's justified. And often this destruction has, you know, the end game is not the pursuit of economics. It's more the, the end game is more the pursuit of destruction for the sake of destruction. And that become abundantly clear as I go through this piece that I wrote in terms of propensity of you know the U.S. to to employ destruction, even though it doesn't serve an economic interest. Now check this out. Dr. Martin Luther King once stated, "America is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world." Conversely, one would conclude the U.S. is equally adept at fomenting destruction throughout the world. In fact, out of 239 years of America's beginning, 220. 222 20, years have seen America engage in war against the world since 1776. Consequently, as a result of U.S. military provocations, millions upon millions of innocent people have lost their lives needlessly. Four major wars alone, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Afghanistan War, the Iraq War, have resulted in a conservative estimate of 12 million innocent people losing their lives. It is easy to surmise the propensity of the U.S. to wage destruction is self-evident. Indubitably, the question arises, why the one-time implementation of such destruction when securing U.S. interests could be achieved without being destructive? The answer is convoluted because many perceive U.S. aggression as justifiable in its pursuit of material gain. However, the reality is quite different. This point can best be illustrated by examining U.S. relationship with two of its top adversaries or enemies, Russia and China, And starting with, with Russia. Once fighting together to end the Nazi scourge, the U.S.-Russia agreed a world-dominated by Nazi ideology was both morally repugnant and a threat to their economic interests. Rather than strengthen the relationship between the two states, U.S. strategic interests or political interests exceeded economic interests. A strong USSR or Russia could have been a strong recipient of U.S. exports which both sides could have economically benefited extensively. Said the U.S. had other ideas. Content to benefit marginally, marginally from a reduced trade with Russia, the U.S. saw a threat in the USSR in terms of ideology. USSR or Russia expressed ideas that an empowered working class with the ability to shape industry practices like wages did not set well with U.S. elites. U.S. sentiments about sharing wealth with workers has always been a point of opposition. This opposition to equality in the U.S. workplace was so strong in the U.S., many U.S. elites and corporations embraced Nazism and Hitler. Corporations like IBM, Ford, and Coca-Cola vehemently opposed U.S. military intervention in World War II out of fear it will legitimize communism, making economic exploitation of U.S. workers that much more difficult to justify. This opposition to U.S. military intervention eventually gave way to the realization the USSR or Russia and the Allies were on the verge of defeating Germany, despite enduring great casualties. Unfortunately, the newfound respect for Ending Nazism faded after the conclusion of the war. Following the war, the U.S. set sight on Russia. The primary motivation of attacking the USSR was not economics because the U.S. economy benefited immensely from selling military equipment, but the question of political control of the world. In order to conceal this agenda, U.S. embarked upon a separate strategy that would buy U.S. time to formulate strategies to weaken Russia economically. One strategy was to ensure Russia's President Gorbachev that the, that the NATO, a NATO organization established in 1948 and had no intent to expand its operations to Russian borders. U.S. Secretary of State James Baker assured the U.S. would honor the, the agreement. However, due to historical precedent and, and, and actually indigenous tribes in the U.S., the U.S. would make on the agreement while increasing military expenditures to NATO countries, six of them that borders Russia. Now, now while these publications were relatively mild uh, US sanctions destruction will reemerge in the form of Ukraine content to spend trillions on NATO Ukraine a non-member has and continues to benefit from US largest despite the billions allocated to Ukraine mountain casualties continue to plague Ukrainian. assure uh, Ukrainian military recent reports suggest casualties to the Ukrainian military has exceeded a half a million personnel in other words for every day Russian five Ukraine die in the US proxy war in which the Ukrainians are mere cannon fodder in a U.S. attempt to weaken Russia economically. In the case of China, U.S. hostility toward China is particularly profound. Back in the 1970s and 1980s, U.S. elites wanted trade with China because of the potential of 1 billion consumers' buying power, at least as well, Leeches were equally confident in economic inter- integration. Of transferring U.S. production to China will result in China's leaders embracing market-based reforms, where exploitation of Chinese labor will, <clears throat> will result in higher profits for Western investors, culminating in U.S. control of China's economy. Instead, China's Central Committee, <laughs> China's Central Committee, uh, stipulated controlling interest or Chinese ownership of business deals made with the United States and control over banks, China's banks. China's China's Central party decision to regulate the business affair of China simply closed the gates for U.S. corruption, greatly angering U.S. elites. Today, cries of U.S. military intervention in China have been expressed by some business elites and fewer politicians. These cries have largely fallen on deaf ears who refuse to validate what is received as a delusionary thinking, and for good reason. Attempts to weaken China has failed. Implementation of COVID-19 failed. Attempts to get Western corporations to forego business or investment opportunities in China have failed, as well as attempt to block Chinese investors and acquiring U.S. assets like land and property. In fact, one Chinese investor recently just liquidated 300 billion in property holdings in the U.S. Now, without question, very levels of U.S. sanctions on businesses and individuals in China has been ineffective, coercing China to institute a Western-type economic model committed to exploitation of the poor while they at least prosper. This is not to say wealthy Chinese do not have it easier. They do. But the government response to inequality in China is considerably more responsive than the U.S. response to, to to inequality. In China, inequality is seen as a threat to the development of the entire country. By orchestrating economic control by the Central Committee, the political body recognized the inherent benefits of using corporate wealth to benefit society in terms of jobs, infrastructure, educational, and health. In this regard, the population in China is not seen as expandable or, to be a to- or to simply to be tolerated. In the U.S., justified inequality is the norm. Like the Chinese model, money is taken from the poor in terms of tax policy, interest rates, and low wages in the U.S. and given to the wealthy. This perverted form of transfer of wealth results in one-tenth of 1% of the population owning 43% of all U.S. wealth. It is because of this philosophical clash the U.S. is busily attempting to devise ways to impose destruction on China. The irony is, in attempting to impose destruction on China using sanctions, the quintessential victims are America's poor and the U.S. economy. Of the 9,000 individuals and or companies that are sanctioned by the U.S. represented 20% of the global GDP, about 80% of that loss of global GDP impacts China directly. Impact on China GDP is, so, so, so sufficient, in, is sufficient enough to raise prices of exported goods and services to the U.S., and increasing hardships for the purchase of appliances, electronics, manufacturing products contribute greatly to inflation in U.S. society. As a result of sanctions currently, China is enjoying a trade surplus of approximately $832 billion with the, U- with the United States. Courtesy in part owing to U.S. sanctions on China and a numerous number of states facing U.S. sanctions. Does the U.S. sanctions adversely impact China's economy? In a nutshell, no, not at all. U.S. sanctions have provided a pathway to facilitate trade between China and other sanctioned states at the expense of the poor in the United States. Does the economic ills impacting poor races to a level of concern among elites in the U.S.? No, not at all. Platitudes go something like this. Poor people, their suffering should result in early deaths for poor people, a testament to the destructiveness of U.S. economic policy and capitalism, and a proclamation acknowledging of the uselessness of those without lots of money in the U.S. society which constitute about 90% of the population. With that reality, it's time for the American people to wake up and understand clearly that there's something fundamentally amiss here, and with that, Brother Africa, I conclude.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki. Next we have with us Brother Anthony Williams, who is an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and we will welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony.
5: Thanks, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the Total Liberation and Unification of Africa under Scientific Socialism.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. And we'll make our transition there to Brother Robert Moses, who is a member and representative of the DC Metro Coalition in Solidarity of the Cuban Revolution. We welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Moses.
10: Thank you, thank you, thank you. And revolutionary greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism ever since I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism. I was introduced to it in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that for government and tongue is his messenger. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few, knowing that we are in a in a, in a race to cure racism and that we are faced with a lot of problems that... Uh, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As we do life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we we encounter the need for friendship, the encounter the need for companionship, and um, and this takes place in class society. And so we are we 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 are faced with apartheid system in the U.S. Of A. and uh, cl- racism, classism sexism, and all kinds of violence. And so we need to be armed and prepared psychologically and mentally for the situations that we are faced with in this class society. In order to do that, we have to study, study, study. And uh, and I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. Next we will have Sister Eleanor Johnson who is also a member and representative of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We would like to welcome her to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor.
1: Good evening, uh, Brother Africa, to our listening audience, to my fellow panelists. Um, My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I'd like to thank Uh, everyone for participating in this evening's program, especially our listening audience in the United States and abroad. I am an artist, human rights activist, former educator. This evening, the only thing I'll mention in my introductory is the Palestinian issue. The Palestinians have known now nearly a century that Israel, the Israeli state wants to expel them from their land and treat them as a security concern, not a people with the land, and has done so with the full backing of the Western elite who helped construct the two myths, that Palestine resistance is terrorism and that Israeli occupation is democracy, thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening show and I hope everyone appreciates
10: the the
1: fact that the reality of uh israeli the Israeli occupation. And the fact that the Palestinians are not terrorists, but there are people who right now uh, we are witnessing the genocide of since October 7th. We've seen the horrible genocide of the Palestinian people. And now some reports allege that some 30,000 Palestinians have been murdered, many of them children and
3: women. Thank you.
1: This
3: has Thank you, Sister. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, you listen listening to Brother Africa. We are on Africa on the Moon. We're going to take a rubber share culture break. When we come back, we're going to start our first segment of this particular program as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. And you can join us by calling in at 323 679 Hit one, and we will acknowledge your last number. So we're gonna take this Republican culture break, and when we come back, our political panelists and analysts, they're gonna be in the seat and they're gonna take the heat because as they define it, they're gonna stand behind it. This is their independent perspective and does not necessarily reflect any ideals, or views or, 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 or positions that Africa on the Move, as the entity, radio may or may have not taken. So we'll be right back. We're going to pause for this call, and don't you go nowhere. Else. This is Africa on the Move.
11: What if mine had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating, better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. Last speech got him assassinated, black business was booming, it wasn't just a consumer. Control on our narrative We have more marriages And see what the damage did They ain't that bad a bitch And welfare did It's way worse than the slavery I'll never be an agent I don't care what they pay of me Seem like Nip had the same old story If we pay a black hater Tell a different allegory Like Pearl Harbor And 9-11 was the mystery Supremacy go The extent to keep their history alive. alive All I'm saying If these leaders was Alive, alive. Who be on the internet trying to divide? Use a hotel hustler. Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence. or will forever be our own down. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence but don't let it seal our like fate. Right behind doors but don't ever show our face. because someone I'm hats with I'm on with It be our own people do the trolling. She be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause Yvonne had Twitter And Malcolm had Twitter It be our own people do the trolling on ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every you coming in the night and you ain't speaking, right? Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic A Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me <laughs> A man laid dead in the street today I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And the march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us
0: and Cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man
11: laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. And landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to
4: fly away.
3: We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. It's time for us to get on down so we can get on up. That's right. We said it. We're going to get on down so we can get on up. Right now, we're going to make our transition to this segment, first segment, What's Going On In Your World and the Community? We'll start off right now with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? okay
5: uh let's see the um, the struggle is intensifying uh against uh you know and uh africans are inc- are worldwide are increasingly fed up with uh, all forms of human exploitation uh the face of which is uh neocolonialism. And uh, and also uh imperialism, Zionism, racism and apartheid. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, and uh and also this uh this is sparked in part by the Palestinian struggles against Zionism and settler colonialism. And, uh, you know, and uh, people are, are getting better organized and the consciousness of the people is rising. And uh, if you're in tune with what's happening in our communities, you'll notice, uh, you'll notice that the people, uh, our, our people's consciousness is increasing and people are getting fed up. With um, uh, all manifestations of imperialism.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, we make our transition to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother
9: Brother Africa? I got a philosophical question for you. How is it that the wealth continually have access to the uh, judicial institutions in society? when it's very difficult for, for poor people to get uh, a hearing in terms of issues that are so vital to poor people. And more insidious is that how is it that wealthy people can use the political institutions in society to essentially make it possible for Trump to get off on the, on the numerous charges that he currently face? This is a very interesting paradox. But in any event, uh, Politico did a very interesting article, and I just want to sum it up, and it's very, very brief, but I think it's in, important in terms of get people thinking about some of the, some of the uh, uh, nuances when it comes to criminal justice in American society. Now, Politico published an interesting article about the Supreme Court entertaining the legality of law concerning legal definition of obstruction. Relevance of the Supreme Court decision is impactful on two levels. One, it calls into question whether the January 6th rioters ever engage in a crime based upon the definition of, of obstruction of the structure statutes. And secondly, a Supreme Court ruling potentially could undermine potentially eliminating criminal charges for Trump if what the rioters participated in was not obstruction or a crime actually not being committed. As a result of the Supreme Court review of the statute, over 30 or more January 6th defendants potentially could be released from jail or have their sentences or trials delayed. Interestingly, the Supreme Court must decide if obstruction meets the original intent of the meaning of obstruction, that is, tampering with physical evidence or constitutional requirements that the riders acted with corrupt purpose. Either way, the Supreme Court decision to usurp the power of the district courts is unprecedented for cases in which government authority or power is challenged. Historically, cases in which a, clo- a clear demarcation of state power and expression of people's rights collide, courts tend to support the prevailing government institutions even when government deeds are cataloged. In the case of a large number of people gathering to prevent the certification of an election, intimidate government officials, it's not something courts, the definers of legitimacy, take lightly. When it comes to the question of defining obstruction, the irony of constitutional law cannot be more apparent. For example, RICO laws, racketeering, influence, corrupt organization statutes, were created specifically for cracking down on organizational crimes affiliated with the monsters and any relationship with corrupt officials who further criminal enterprises. Despite the statute focused on the mafia and criminal activity, the statute is applied to drug dealers, street gangs who may or may not be working in concert for some nefarious motive. The statute is even used to charge political prisoners or political or prisoners of war who are perceived as criminal because they advocate human rights. The question is, why are billionaires petitioning Supreme Court and funding redefining constitutional definition for obstruction and not the RICO laws? The answer is quite simple. One advocates the interest of the wealthy; the other does not. The same reason the Supreme Court agreed to a hearing in the first place, given what the rioters did on January six, year twenty twenty one, was textbook textbook obstruction. And with that, brother Africa, I certainly hope people think about these questions of justice in American society. And with that, I
3: conclude. Thank you, brother Haki. You know, brother Haki, he told me that. When one asks the question, what is the value and role of institutions in society? They say all instit- institutions in our society basically represent the elite and the powerful. It's a tool that they use to carry out their interests. it sound like that's what i hearing from you, but the people want to learn this. But well, we thank you for sharing with us what's going on in your world and the community. Next, we are go to Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Moses?
10: Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, certainly, we're going to recognize that the repression of the state, the government, is um, using its finance capital and um, private sector um, people who who are part of the ruling classes, lackeys. And um, they're suing people. uh, Alliance for Global Justice can no longer get credit cards as 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 part of their vehicles of gathering donations. And um, they've um, evidently there's some person in the Washington Informer who's writing articles against Alliance for Global Justice. So we see the right wing is it's repressing the movement for justice in. Fair play. Also, even move or move on uh, the Democratic Party, move on uh, um, Trump, some of Trump's allies are suing them and claiming they're using the, they they suing them under the RICO laws trying to show that somehow because they're against Trump's various schemes, um, when they oppose them, somehow that's that's racketeering and uh and uh, something wrong with it because it's trump's it's trump's uh, god almighty evidently in there in the in the this lawyer's eyes or who's pursuing this so anyway and meanwhile like i said uh we have the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and in that pursuit of happiness we're going to encounter the need for companionship and so I want to briefly go by take two seconds, two minutes to say the his story and the her it ages of apartheid in the USA, the history and the herages of apartheid in the USA. It's been correctly stated that black skin will never be free until white skin is also free. The history of apartheid is a story of economic opportunism, and the history of apartheid is a story of denial and hatred. A thorough analysis of the exploited system of apartheid reveals that it is fascism. That is, apartheid is fascism, and fascism is the open tyranny with tyranny of finance capital. Thus, apartheid is an organization of race hatred, and this system attempts to purify one people at the cost of another. It is an unjust and evil system of death and exploitation attempting to thrive on the labor power of black workers and Anglo workers. Black freedom-loving people in the USA will continue to fight beside our Anglo freedom-loving brothers and sisters until this system of exploitation is discredited and abandoned. It is a system which attempts to divide us, leave our children without a legitimate father, and perpetuate anarchy within our family, our nation, and unleash anarchy within the government. And so we see racism has a real real impact on on the social economic order. It says certain conditions have to be present before people like Donald Trump can triumph. Um uh, and certainly Netanyahu and Joseph Biden are racist to the core and uh against apart showing it when they kill the uh, Palestinian people and try to drive them off their land because it's ethnic cleansing and, and it's nothing but a uh, racism. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. And next we will go to Sister Eleanor. We'd like to ask the question, Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your community, in your world, and the community. <clears throat>
1: Well, the big issue right now is that we see that uh, uh, there's no shortcut to decolonialization. And we see this uh, with Israel, US, and the UK, and Germany imperialism. Though there are millions of people around the world are working in active solidarity with the Palestinian people to meet power with power and throwing sand or stopping the Israeli genocidal war machine by blockading banks that fund genocide, organizing against tech companies that facilitate genocide, marching in our our millions against genocide and uniting with the vast majority of nations on earth to assert their opposition to to genocide and imperialism against the genocide of the Palestinian people. We've seen... The UNRWA is now stopped from even delivering water and food. We're starving the people. We've cut their life not we, but the United States of America, Great Britain and Germany are now openly participating in the propaganda that the UNRWA is a front for Hamas. Israelis are, the fascists are alleging that hospitals are fronts for Hamas. They're alleging that the tunnels that they built were built by, that the Israelis built were built by Hamas. The reality of a Palestinian nation isn't even taught or realized by many people. We have an aggressive activity in the media that denies the reality of the genocide of the Palestinian people. The people are led front for Hamas. So Israelis are killing them. They killed three of their own people with white flags holding them up. If any of the hostages are killed, they're being killed by Israelis. They're flooding the tunnels now. Children are dying of horrible diseases because of a lack of water. People have no, diabetics have no insulin. Persons with high blood pressure have no statin drugs. This is the worst genocide we have seen. The ICJ did not call it outright a genocide, but they did their best to identify what was going on in the Gaza Strip. Israel has used walls, permits demolished homes for decades. We saw it in the old saw the killing of children and women and babies by a guy wearing a patch and it wasn't a horror movie. It was the Israeli colonial occupation of Palestine. So that's what's going on and And the the rhetoric that goes along with that, the Israeli occupation, it's sick to say that the Israeli state has enjoyed the full backing of the United States and the West. The Palestinian resistance is seen as terrorism why the Israeli occupation, as I said moments ago, is seen as a democracy. This is the most absurd thing that I have seen. The the Yemen, the people of Yemen who were being attacked by Saudi Arabia are now being attacked Saudi Arabian apathies, uh, and the apathy is the US government. What is going on? I do not know. But major change is, ha- is going to happen in the world. It is a major fight against fascism. We saw Mohi, M-O-H-I, stand a Hindu temple where a mosque had stood and talked about it being a Hindu state, India, when it's a state of India, is many people, Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, but he's choosing to act as if it's a single state, a uh, heterogeneous state of Hindu state. It is not. We see... Uh, Bolsonaro, who is now here in the United States because he was found guilty of human rights violations by the CIJ, uh, the ICJ, and where does he find refuge in the United States? What is going on is the question. I have, and that's what's going on in my world. Watching and being witness to these human atrocities, and the misinformation that was being spread, and it's gotten so bad that last week, two days after after the ICJ ruling, the not only Netanyahu. But um, the prime, not only the prime minister of Israel, but the minister of defense and numerous others, were literally uh, dancing. Were literally dancing over their great victory in propagating this fascist jargon in the Western media. Thank you,
3: Sister Eleanor. Panelists, what we're we going to do before we make our transition to our second segment on Kwame a Reflection and African History Month, we will like for each one of y'all, and I repeat, each one of y'all, take one minute to reflect on this question as it relates to African African History Month. we in the confines of the U.S. How can we best use this month? as a tool to move our people forward. How can we best or put the best use of this month to use it as a tool to push our people forward? Brother
5: Anthony.
3: Uh, Yes, we could use this
5: uh, use African History Month as a tool to educate our people about Africa's contributions to humanity, which are many. And uh, we could start uh, to shed light on, the, uh, uh, on this and uh, use this as a tool to educate people about, uh, about Africa and African people, uh, people's contributions uh, to science and technology, as well as sports and entertainment, but not only that also uh about uh you know uh you know Africa's contributions uh to overall technological development to science, which does not get enough attention in the educational systems most of us come out of. And this, uh, uh, and this will impart a more positive attitude among our youth about Africa and African people.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, how can we best use African history month as a tool to help move our people forward, Brother Haki?
9: Yeah, I uh, I have to concur with uh, with Anthony. Uh, I think he's, uh, he's he's right on point. I think one of the things, you know, uh, given the notoriety, uh, I mean we're not notoriety, but given the uh, the importance of African history, I think it it, it, it garners a certain amount of a uh, certain amount of attention, a certain amount of respect. So I think we can use those those variables, you know, as a means to you know actually engage people around the necessity in terms of organization and and. Uh, 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 you know, in the community to deal with questions that are pertinent to the African community. So I think this is a perfect time to do that. But more importantly, I think what is important is that when we talk about in terms of the psychological aspect, in terms of oppression, we have to realize that it does adversely impact the way we think and when we perceive things. And given that reality, so we have to have something to sort of counteract the influences, you know, that are that we are the, uh, that we are subject to on a daily basis, namely in terms of in terms of media. So we can innovate. In the, inculcate certain ideas in our children in terms of using African history, then they get a better perception of themselves. So, therefore, the kind of media attention or kind of media influences that that tends to teach our kids to think negatively about themselves, they can rebuff that simply by by being empowered to understand that uh, what they're being told is not consistent with the history that they understand. So I think it's important that our people understand that the psychological history or the psychological aspect in terms of, you know, uh the media's influence is very very real. And so African History Month is a perfect example in terms of beginning to create those systems in the community to put them in place in which we fundamentally uh make it very difficult for the powers that be to uh to create systems to impact on us um um, um uh adversely. And I'll close with that.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki, Brother Moses, your response? How can we best use the month of African history month? As a tool to help move our people
10: forward. Well, I think you know we definitely both brothers have hit the head, the nail on the head. We definitely it's about education. Um, I've always been for education uh, and history, understanding our history and uh, and not being miseducated. And so I I remember back in. Oh, 1968 or so, I represented T.C. Williams High School at, at as a student representative to the school board as we developed a curriculum for black history. Um, because we didn't have history. We had been sitting in for black history. And uh, so finally we won we won it, and we went, and I was representing that at the school board, and we used Carter G. Woodson Center in D.C. and to develop the curriculum and stuff. And so, you know, I'm I've always been in the struggle for educating our people in terms of who we are and where we're going and what we need to do. And uh, that, that's 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 Black History Month. That's any month. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother
3: Mosier and Sister Eleanor. How can we best use the month of African History Month as a tool to help move our people forward? Sister Eleanor.
1: Three other analysts said it very well. Education is the primary tool. You see that um, the Phillips collection, for example, had an exhibit of African art from 1947 to 1992. So we can use the arts, uh, literature, as well as other methods of education to um, bring people together around the pan-Africanist theory, as well as the struggle of the United States of America and the history of the U.S. I think that is the most essential way we can move education as the tool and collective activity and communication. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Sister
1: Ellen Moore. At this point in time, we're gonna make our transition
3: to the second segment of this program. As we talk about Southern African Fisher Month, we're gonna make our contribution for this week by introducing our listening audience to some of the reflections of Brother Kwame Turei, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael, and some of his ideas on issues, on movements that are important to our people's survival and the future of our people before it all is like to try to help liberate our people and liberate and unify Africa. So what we want to do is we're gonna play some of the reflections on different subject areas and matters of Brother Kwame Ture and panelists after each particular section, we're gonna have you to respond to it. So at this point in time, we're gonna bring in Brother Kwame Ture and his reflection on the issue of Pan-Africanism and socialism. This is Brother Kwame Ture. From his own words Because at this point in time There is a movement There is a struggle again To misrepresent who he was And his ideas And as always The enemy will always use propaganda To try to distort our history And make us confused So we are war And we're going to fight back Here's Brother Kwame mitri Speaking on Pan-Africanism and Socialism
6: Pan-Africanism must come from the bottom up From the masses of people up It is here, then, that we've come to see the real aspect of Pan-Africanism. We said that in the fifth Pan-African Congress, they called for mass organizations, and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the African world. The Conventional People's Party, a mass party, sprang up in Ghana. The Democratic Party of Guinea, a mass party, sprang up in Guinea. Throughout the length and breadth of Africa, you had the TANU, the Tanzanian African National Union, which is now the CCM, my... Swahili is uh, not as good as yours, it's Chimpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. No. <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heated for mass confrontation. Of course the fifth pan-african congress made two definite and precise resolutions which i want to uh, highlight of course pan-africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial from the very beginning it was anti-colonial it was weak so when they came they didn't say to the queen we're going to put you out of the country they said you must treat the natives right you must educate them you must prepare them for self-government these are things that are weak but they were anti-colonial in essence we must not look at the form and we get stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot and aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. <laughs> if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, you did hear about it. I said, I missed the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena, because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking. I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I said, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? So we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system with its eternal principles keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking and picking up 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system. And there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say... Please please summarize that we might have... No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching it. Now I'm watching my clock. I'm responsible. I'm rev- revolutionary. I go back. <laughs> Stop my clock. the
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: In fact, I can say it in two words: Black Power. <laughs> <laughs> and today we've gone to one Pan Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system. There's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. The confusion arises over ideology. That is that which guides you towards your objective. So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology. It is an objective. It is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system. That's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, of course. Of course. And me, all I want is power. <laughs> I'm not like others. I don't want money. I don't want popularity. I just want the power I'm supposed to get. That's <laughs> all.
3: <laughs> That's all. <laughs> so it's Brother Kwame Ture speaking on pan Africanism and socialism. Something, something that is definitely needed in our community to educate our people on these two concepts. Brother Anthony, your reflection on... Brother Kwame, position on Pan Africanism and Socialism. Your thoughts? Brother Anthony. Uh
5: he is uh, uh he is uh, uh, uh completely accurate in that regard. Uh you cannot uh socialism and uh and and Pan Africanism are 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 linked together. You cannot uh and uh the struggle for liberation was inherently anti-colonial and uh, and ultimately anti-capitalist, and uh, and uh, so uh, the the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism must be uh, be a primary objective of all. African revolutionaries throughout the world and uh it is the, uh and uh, it's the only objective that will solve all of our problems uh you know facing uh you know humanity and uh you know and end the, uh the exploitation of of one of one human being by another. And uh that is why it is so necessary. And uh and uh he, and the connections he showed are very clear. And uh you know, uh and uh from Anthrabe's uh, his history, ca uh Pan Africanism had always been anti capitalist even though uh you know the the calls were weak for it at first you know uh you know he correctly points out it that al- uh, it has always uh, been uh anti uh anti-capitalist throughout its history so we so we see here in his analysis how cap, uh, how pan, the struggle for pan-Africanism and socialism are linked.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, Brother Haki, your reflections on the thoughts of Brother Kwame's way position as he spoke to the issue of pan-Africanism and socialism. Brother Haki.
9: Yeah, I, uh, uh, Brother Kwame was very, very correct in terms of the importance in terms of building movement from the bottom up. Uh unfortunately in the United States a lot of times we think and in fact that the we, we look for we look toward the the educated, the elite in terms of forming, you know, mass movement. But the bottom line is that the the, the 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 people who are are fortunate enough, you know, to go to universities to earn large sums of money, uh uh, who have some status in society, are not particularly predisposed in terms of dealing with issues in terms in terms of mass movement. Because in order for them to deal with issues of mass movement they have to give up a lot. And they're not willing to give up a lot. So the movement has to emanate from the bottom up. So Kwame made a very very, very legitimate point. I think also he made a very crucial distinction, I think, and Brother Anthony talked about that, well, between the objective and ideology. Because that's important, because one of the things you always say, Brother Africa, is that your enemy will always seek to confuse you. And fortunately, in the, in the, uh, among the political left, a lot of people, the perception that pan-Africanism is ideology, and so they reject it, because they see it as neural nationalism not understanding that it's not an ideology; it's an objective. The, the ideology, in terms of getting to Pan-Africanism, is, is open interpretation. People will employ different means in terms of getting to Pan-Africanism, but the openly objective is the is is is, is 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 the concrete is a concrete reality of of a Pan-African existence. So we so he made that he made that distinction. So I think that's important. So, we put so we can put the, put 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 to bed this notion. In fact, that you know, somehow there's something fundamentally wrong, you know, uh, um, theoretically, uh, with Pan-Africanism. Uh, so what we're talking about is an objective, and that's very good. And also, let me and one other thing I think we have to spare, and Brother Brother Kwame alluded to, and you didn't go into the great detail, is one of the things when we talk about the bottom-up approach. One of the things we have to understand that that by no stretch of the imagination means that in in the context of building a social society things like divisional labor gets negated. Uh, I mean, divisional labor is something that is natural in terms of people's talents. Some people are good at mathematics, some people are good at uh, art, some people are good at, um, at play, and playing a, music, uh, a musical instrument. So people have different talents. That's not gonna be liquidated, irrespective of the kind of kind of government that you're talking about, the kind of system that you're talking about. So he's not talking about, like some people lead that we talk about social, he's talking about the negation of divisional of labor or bureaucracy. But that is pretty much part in terms of human society. That's, that can't be negated. That's just, just endemic in terms of how human beings uh, live their lives. It, what it does mean is that when you talk about division of labor and bureaucracy, what it means is that every individual in that society has a right to, to to those things that are that are important in terms of human survival. So the mere fact that I'm just a laborer doesn't mean that I shouldn't have a right to food or housing. I have an equal right to food or housing just as someone who happens to be, let's quote, unquote, an engineer. Uh, so that's all that's so that's all he's saying. So it's important in terms of this bottom up that we understand the necessity in terms of the bottom up and discount this, this notion that somehow that people at, the people at the top are somehow going to are going to uh, are going to spin uh, spin their efforts in terms of trying to format mass movements. There have been exceptions in the history in which people who did it, who have done that. Uh, you know, like uh, WB Du Bois, uh Frederick Douglass, um, you know, um, you know, um O. Carl Woodson, you have people like that who have done that, but by and large, you know, in terms of a, in terms of a powerful movement, it has to come from a awareness of the mass of the people that change has to take place. And with that, I
3: conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, your reflection on the position that Brother Toure articulated as related to Pan Africanism and socialism. Brother Moses
10: thank you thank you brother Africa um I think you know brother Anthony and brother Haki have shown some light and uh, some some uh, concrete analysis of of what the issues are and um, and uh, clarified um, um, the issues Um, and so you know I don't know that I can do anything that's gonna bring any more uh, clarity to the issues than what they've already said Um, Certainly, you know, scientific socialism is an objective, and uh, um, and um, as he said, you know, it's like it's like a science is. We have the science to go to the moon, and everybody who goes to the moon learns some of the same laws and um, truths uh, because in order to get there, you you have to. have to have certain knowledge of space and and um, and matter and um, and know how to to navigate the the distance so you know science is science and um, Marxism Leninism Mao Zedong thought is a science and um, Marx developed scientific socialism Engels contributed to it and in his writings and uh, Certainly, Lenin has writings, and Stalin has writings, and Mao has writings, and they concretely struggled in the real world to build scientific socialism. And I, I, I think we can learn from their examples, not exclusively, but we can definitely learn from their example. And um, and um, and I, I just think you know we, we have to uh, win the masses, the hearts and minds of the masses. Uh, um one person at a time really and it starts wherever we are right right tonight the panelists uh it's an immediate objective is to get understanding and clarity from the panelists and if we can get that then perhaps somebody about somebody outside of the group can um, see the see the reality of what we're talking about and so i'll just leave it right there thank you
3: Thank you, Moses. Sister Eleanor, your reflection on the statements by Brother Toure as he spoke on Pan-Africanism, socialism. Uh,
1: uh, I agree with the other panelists. Um, You know that the the movement definitely starts from the bottom up, and organizing is. as always, the topic of this um, forum and organizing and educational forums are to way, the way to do it. And as uh, Brother Moses said, it starts with one person at a time. Literally, if we um, host uh, activities that bring different groups that are struggling or common goals or uh, our supporting goals, whether it be standing against apartheid, standing against genocide, uh, union organizing, when each group uh, has a chance, uh, members of the group to meet with each other, interact, and uh, build knowledge on what is to be done and, being aware of what our commonalities are, we can uh, really build a foundation. And with this being an election year, it's really an opportunity to use the tool of voting to educate and mobilize people uh, by letting them know by registering to vote and voting in their municipality they can affect who gets elected and even possibly in local elections, there's still time um, to run their own candidates and possibly have them elected. So you can see the power of your own uh, community uh, through utilizing uh, tools such as organizing, voter registration, and other things, um, even as it's something as simple as organizing a uh, Black History Month block party or activity at your local library, having a reading session for the children. It's, it's a great, it's a great thing to do. And Kwame uh, talked about organizing and how you do it from the bottom up and i think he was really on point right there and it just um inspired inspired me in listening to the other analysts in the ways to do that with the children with the reading session at the library for the month you know there's so many things that can be done
2: and uh
1: uh, Kwame definitely uh, knows that black people have to organize themselves, and that's where it starts for us, We're going to each one.
3: We will continue to move forward as Kwame Ture speaks to the issue of revolution versus reform. We must definitely need to have a better understanding a precise understanding of what is revolution and what is reform that seems since the existence of coming here the masses are keeping duped with reform so let's listen to his perspective on revolution versus, response, revolution versus reform and we'll come back and have our panelists and panelists response to it
6: oh, it will be solved
3: There's a difference between revolution and
6: reform, big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling. couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformers, black people notwithstanding. And these reformers have a tendency to deceive you, to let you believe that things are really being changed when, in fact, the foundation has not been touched, and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes, the more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall, and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, This foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Touré, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me. Thus, I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation, and you see the foundation is rotten, and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world, America notwithstanding. It must come and will come.
3: Really- As you just heard, Brother Therese spoke to the issue of revolution versus reform. In all societies, you only have two types of institutions. Either they will be revolutionary, which means seeking change, or reform, seeking the status quo, keeping the same, but just changing the way in which it operates. For years, we've been trying to vote, seeking change, and the voting is a reform method of addressing the contradictions in the capitalist system. For years, we've been going to the courts, going to the politicians, going to the education system, thinking that it will bring about change, but what we must understand these institutions are reformed. So at this point in time, panelists, I would like for y'all to reflect on what you just heard as Brother Toure articulated his perspective on revolution revolution versus reform. Your reflection on this his position, Brother Anthony, revolution versus reform. Me? yes
5: but yes. you okay uh i think i i think he 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 is uh he he's correct and uh and of the, the fact is a lot of uh people confuse reform with uh with uh revolution and uh and he and he makes it distinct uh, 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 reforms preserve the system as, as it is. It, uh, it 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 may make a few cosmetic uh, changes, but it preserves the system intact. And what the masses of the people want is a change in the system. A change. In, in, in the system they that they, they they wanna they wanna replace it they wanna do away with it and uh and that's the difference between revolution and reform and uh uh you know and uh re- reform- uh revolution can uh can only take place through mass organization and that's key you uh you've got to do it through a through through an organization that has a political education program that will educate the masses of the people and uh, reforms uh uh you know preserve the system intact and uh and uh and uh the and they're limited in terms of uh, uh addressing fundamental change and that is the limitation reforms seek to, uh to to keep the system intact uh with a few cosmetic changes necessary. For example, the 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 difference between uh, chattel slavery and uh, sharecropping is uh, uh, nothing more than reform, and uh, and uh, that's so, so it is only through organization that genuine change can come about.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. We will move to Brother Hackie. Your reflection on the discussion of reform versus revolution, and how do you see the difference between the two?
9: <laughs> well, Brother Africa, I mean, what can what can we add to the discussion around reform versus revolution? Uh, let's start with reform. You know, one of the things you know when we talk about reform, essentially, we talk about a validation, revalidating the system. Certainly, one of the problems when you talk about valid, validating the system in the context of voting, one thing we have to fundamentally understand, if a politician's position is that there's nothing wrong with the system, you know, except, all oh, you need a few tweaks, and a few tweaks here and there, then, of course, uh, for him, I mean, when you talk about revolution and you talk about systematic change, such a politician would never support the revolutionary change because it's not his or her interest to support revolutionary change because they fundamentally don't see a problem with the system. And so that is a problem, and also when, when you talk about the fact, of reality is when you talk about the context of voting. Let's keep it. Let's keep it real. When you talk about interest, uh, the interest of politicians doesn't often square with the interests of the masses of people. For politicians, is a is an opportunity in terms of enhancing one's power, but possibly enhancing one's bank a bank account. So their motivation is totally different in 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 terms of what they what they what they what they express. Uh, so clearly, when you talk about, you know. Fighting for the interests of the people, there's simply no no, there's no profit in fighting for the interests of the people. So why would a politician fight in the interests of people when there's no profit in it? So voting is, is probably one of the most most reformist, uh, most reformist things that we can do in terms of political change in society. It doesn't mean that, it, that it's a strategic value in terms of getting people to do things, to work together in harmony. It has strategic value. But it's not going to lead it's not a panacea in terms of being bringing to existence, you know, a new social order. It's not going to happen based upon voting. And let's be very clear on that point. And we talk about whether we're talking about a state level, a local level, state level, or a federal level. Uh the game the game the game is pretty much the game is pretty much uh determined, you know, uh even if you don't vote. The game is pretty much determined. Now in terms also in terms of reforming, you know, one of the things, you know, when we talk about reform, you know, in this, in, this, in really in a, in a really esoteric sense, you know. Also, you know, people move. You know, you know, yeah, Africans who move to upscale neighborhoods thinking that they've made it, and not understanding that the fundamental barriers or the fundamental institutions that adversely impact on the lives of African people hasn't changed. So, you live in an upscale neighborhood. Uh, your children still have to compete in the real world. And so, even though you think those advantages of living in an upscale neighborhood is going to afford your children, the bottom line is when we talk about human behavior, human attitudes, particularly when it comes to question of race in American society. Your kid stands to your kids Your kid stands to be at a at a at a at a at a at a not in a very good not in a very good in a very good position, because in fact, what you essentially did is disempower that child to understand the reality in terms of how the society is organized, and without understanding in terms of how the system is organized, there's no way conceivable for that kid to stand up against those forces which are alienating, those forces which are negating, those forces which are uh, devastating to that child, to that to that young person's uh, psyche. So clearly, so you don't do your so you don't do your children any good because you're the upscale neighborhood just simply abandoned in terms of the importance in terms of the revolution. And, we're, and likewise, I would add that you know one of the things when we talk about you know cult when we talk about cultural nationalism, cultural nationalism is good in terms of identity. I mean, it's very, very good in terms of identity, but in terms of giving us to the point where the understanding of revolution, then that's where the problem comes in. So we think if we dress a certain way in terms of african attire, or if we, beat a, if we play a drum, uh, that, that's sufficient in terms of, you know, uh, resolving the problems that we're confronted with. The bottom line is that drumming, uh, African clothes, all that is good in terms of self-expression, but there's nothing in terms of bringing about a new social order, which is which is so important to the aspirations of not just African people, but humanity generally. But when we question a of, of, of revolution, I think, um, you know, See, one thing about revolution, see people who are revolutionary understand the necessity in terms of systematic change. Uh, uh, you, you have to understand that in order to be revolutionary, then you have to have a sense in terms of the, you you have a desire to see the elevation of humanity, where people, whereas, you know, I, I remember situations where you know in the subway in New York City, uh, people are so accustomed to walking over when homeless people are on the platform, laying down asleep, sleep or just laying there because they, but they're intoxicated or they or whatever people simply step over them and not give it a second thought. We're no, we're no concern at all in terms of humanity. So the mere fact that when you see that kind of thing if, as a human being, you want to say, well, listen, this kind of thing is simply unacceptable, particularly in society with the wealth and, with the wealth that, that the U.S. possesses. Why are people sleeping on a platform, subway platform? Why is this happening in society? So there's this intense need in terms of the elevation of humanity because to a large extent, I think in terms of, you know, you know, how you view humanity is a reflection of how you view yourself. So if you live in a society which is hostile and or cruel to, to people who are down on their luck, then you're part of that system. So if you feel good about who you are as an individual despite this, this chaotic situation going on around you, then it raises the question into what kind of human being are you to even see those conditions and not feel any, 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 any pain behind seeing human beings live in such a way. Uh, but I think also, and finally, Brother Africa, I think when you talk about the question of no sentimentality, I think that's very, very important. I think one of the things that you have to fully understand is that this road in terms of evolution is not an easy one. I mean, people who people misunderstand you, people who don't understand you, people who don't want to understand you, people who refuse to understand you. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. But So if you let that stuff get in your way, then there's no way you can strive for revolution, in society. Because one of the things that's very, very commonplace in terms of trying to bring about revolution is that you're going to encounter ignorance, mass ignorance. You're going to encounter it. That's no question about that. And if you let that ignorance get in your way in terms of b- being, you know, uh, a a source of uh, discontent, you know, uh, then clearly then you you'll dis- you you disempower yourself to be able in position to actually carry out revolution. So, no sentimentality. I think is extremely important in terms of revolution. And certainly, one of the great things in all these, you know, all these revolutions were recently passed. When you're talking about Sekou uh, Toure, Ahmed Oufemi, June, uh, June Vala Plummer, um Plummer, Shakur. Uh, when you talk about all these great revolutionaries, uh, even Malcolm X uh, or Martin Luther King, When you talk about these great revolutionaries. This question of of, of no sentimentality was very much a motivator in terms of their willingness against great odds to stand up and say, listen, despite all of this, change has to take place, and I'm advocating change, even if that means i got to pay the ultimate price in terms of bringing about that change. So no sentimentality is definitely a plus or definitely needed in terms of executing revolution in the society, and I conclude. Thank you,
3: Brother Haki. Brother Moses, your reflection on revolution? versus
10: reform thank you thank you thank you thank you brother um i think you know we can come to there's a two-line struggle on all issues there's a two-line struggle we we can agree in principle but then there's the question of left and right left in form right in essence versus being left and uh So we can agree in principle, yes, uh, reform is not the answer. Of course it's not the answer. Revolution is the answer, no question. But but the question is, how do you get revolution? And I've studied Lenin, state and revolution, for instance, where he analyzes the state and revolution. And uh, we must struggle on all fronts, The the political struggle for state power, the economic struggle for better conditions, especially the unions, and the theoretical struggle as to the correct interpretation of our past leaders and the correct assessment of where we are and where we need to go. In order to triumph, we must study and practice Marxism, for the dialectical relation between ideas and practice will develop us as a revolutionaries, just as it developed Shea and Fidel. By assessing the real needs of real people struggling in society, we will develop a program of action that we can all agree on and rally around.
4: The correctness
10: or incorrectness of our ideological and political line will be proven in the struggle to obtain real gains for the working class. And in the struggle, as always, we will gain friends and make enemies. Who are friends and who are enemies is the critical line when trying to make a revolution. Our answer to these questions separates us from Democrats, Republicans, and would-be socialists. We must keep policies in command, rely on our land and win over the workers. Needless to say, we must continue to explain the contradiction between the profit-driven capitalist system and the planned production of socialism. If we can't plan a single country, then how can we plan the world? We can establish socialism. Common is probably not in my lifetime, but socialism is possible theoretically and practically. Otherwise, for what are we struggling? And so theory is a guide to action. If we come up with a mechanical theory, we're gonna have, it's gonna affect our practice. We have to have a dialectical and in, in historical material. It's a, a, a political economy that is vibrant and active and it's alive. It's not just some some buildings, two, two different buildings per se, but we have, a, it's a dialectical relationship here. We're talking about the subjective factors, the critical variable. In this revolution, the objective conditions are already there. The question is getting the people, the hearts and minds of the people on the same program of action. And um, that can't be done by staying on the sidelines and criticizing. And and, um, the vote is one of the most powerful weapons we have. As they say, we went from picking cotton to picking presidents and um uh, and uh if you don't recognize it that's i can't reverse correct verses. i got to do what i got to do and i don't have time for it so later on thank you
3: thank you brother moses and sister eleanor your reflection on religion reflection on revolution versus reform sister eleanor
1: well, I think uh, it's been very well stated and then we've come to a, a wonderful point. When uh, With uh, the last panelists, all three panelists were terrific. But uh, when we talk about revolution, yeah, we got to do it with organizing labor, whether it's unions, economic policies, but this vote, which is a reform, but it's a real tool because it allows you to take over and have an impact on your immediate community, on your immediate life. And uh, it's an excellent tool to building a revolutionary movement. It is simply one tool in the toolbox. Uh, as organizing is a tool in the toolbox, as uh Developing an agenda, and so the, uh, that's so important to uh, 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 to uh, bringing about a revolutionary movement. You see that in the United States, using it as an example, since 2020, the the reformist tool of voting is being restricted in uh, states throughout the nation because they realize, the the fascists realize what tool it is and what type of change it can possibly bring. And um, it's not so much what party you vote for or vote with, but it's uh, what kind of policy you can affect in your community, Um, educational policy, environmental policy, uh, things that are very important, Uh, women's rights and issues. You see, for example, municipalities throughout the United States have stood up against uh, the embargo against Cuba and taking Cuba off of the state terrorist list. That was done through the use of the reformist tool uh, of voting. That's how you get the city councils and the mayors and uh, persons to vote that through as a legislative policy something they chose to do that was something to uh, put a tool that the masses were able to cause were able to affect so uh, yes we have to be careful that we do not settle for petty reform um, as one of the analysts said sharecropping. Brother Hakeem said sharecropping was just another form of slavery. Yes, it was. Now, the prison industrial complex is just another form of slavery. You see that the prisoners are readily producing lingerie. I believe Victoria's Secret, other products are produced in prison. It's up to the uh, people organizing and labor to see who, who their coworkers are and if their prison industrial complexes producing some of the goods that are being sold by their employer, they don't go out and quit their job, but they definitely make sure that they do not consume any of those goods You know, so we have to use our dollars, use our votes, use our organizers to build a revolution. And we need millions of people to be involved to bring about a revolutionary change in the United States, for example. And we see in Africa, the wonderful tool that's bringing about change across Africa that's looking beyond um, state or nation boundaries, and that's the Internet, in that uh, the young people see that there's a time for economic and social change, time to shake the chains of colonialism. They're doing it with their computers through communicating through the Internet to making sure that there are eyes on what's going on. We can see the trucks backed up in Egypt waiting, miles of backed up trucks with water and supplies for the Palestinians sitting at the one entry into Gaza in Egypt. So we can see these things and they're educating each other and politicizing their communities and the world. So there are many tools and we see the internet as one of the newest tools. It's a dangerous one, but when truth and fact is distributed, it informs and educates folks. This podcast is an example of an educational tool. So, um, yeah, it takes a lot to build a movement and there are many factors into building that movement. Politicizing, organizing, voting, uh, economic control, all of those things are part of uh, building a revolutionary movement and others.
3: Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next, we move to Kwame Ture as he addresses and reflects on the African bourgeoisie and class struggle. You know they say we must know the enemy we're in, among, and outside of us. So let's listen real carefully to his question on the issue of the African bourgeoisie and class struggle, and we'll get your response our
9: struggle since the
6: 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the african revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution here then the masters must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought this will come as a natural consequence the people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs even in America, they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the Poix position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we, who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we, who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Everybody.
3: You have just heard Brother Kwame Turek gave his reflection on Rishwa G and class struggle within our community. Brother Anthony on your understanding, maybe for our listening audience, maybe you can explain what is the what what is the petty bourgeoisie and your reflection on this issue of the bourgeoisie and the question of class struggle as it relates to our people. Dr. So Anthony, your reflection.
5: Sure. Uh the petty bourgeoisie are uh, are are basically uh that uh that sector of our community that aspires to be the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie in a, in a capitalist society are the are the few who own and control the means of production in society. They own the factories, the banks. Uh, the institutions of society and the petty bourgeoisie want to be them to be like them and uh and so this is where uh and uh as capitalism develops the class struggle intensifies because wealth becomes more concentrated as capitalism develops and uh there are fewer crumbs to go around and uh and so uh so that uh so so that's why the the class struggle intensifies uh because uh because resource- uh uh because of uh, the concentration of resources in the hands of the few there's less uh, uh, available for the masses and uh this is in, in essence what the class struggle is about and uh it's about uh you know uh, how resources are distributed in a given society and uh this is a uh, capitalist societys entren- and, and capitalism is entrenched right now and uh you know the workers are 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 at odds with the system that is where the class struggle comes into play and um Yes. Um the petty bourgeois uh, elements are those are 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 those sectors of the community that that aspire to be like the bourgeoisie. They can't be uh, you know, uh, just uh you know, um uh you know, simple uh, you know, the math uh you, you know uh put uh you know puts that constraint on that in addition there are uh political factors such as uh race and ethnicity religion language that uh put a that put a, an additional constraint on who can become part of the bourgeoisie
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. We will move to Brother Haque. Brother Haque, as you give your reflection on the issue of the African bourgeoisie and the class struggle within the African community and the African world, give us a sense of how you look at or what is class struggle. There may be some people who hear that concept. The, the everyday brother, you know, that the struggling, you may not been exposed to the concept of class. What do we mean by class struggle? How do you run how do we identify the different classes among us as a people? Brother Haki, your response. Yeah,
5: well, yeah, well
3: in the in
9: simplest terms, uh, in order to understand class struggle, I mean uh, the class contradiction of class struggle, one of the things we have to first understand is that we all have our perceptions. Often our perceptions are what we think. Is determined by a array of factors: how we were brought up, our parents, the community, all of that. All those things impact the way we perceive things. Well, in the context of class struggle, when you, when you, when when you, when you start thinking that in fact that uh, uh, certain kind of value systems that exist in American society are appropriate and just, and once you embrace those value systems, then you can pretty much uh, 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 you can pretty much uh, um, uh, justify almost anything under the sun. For instance, uh, in the terms of class struggles, for for people who got you know the, a house, a nice house, nice cars, a little money in the bank, the perception for many of them is that well, the struggle for the the, the struggle for African people is is, is, is one of uh, ineptitude. uh if, in other words, if the masses of African people weren't lazy and and or somehow uh, uh, just just downright irresponsible, then they too could have had this what I have. So what they do is negate the socioeconomic factors in terms of their impact on not just the material conditions of African people, but also the psychological conditions of African people. So when we talk about in terms of things like you know, not having access to good food, not having access to quality housing, not having access to a decent education, those things had an intimate impact on the, way people, on the way children think, the way they see the world. And it's often negative. And so, therefore, what happens is that in terms of the class element, uh, people who identify with American way of life tend to say the problem is not the system. The problem is the is black people, black people, African people. They are the problem. And so, and so in other words, it becomes convenient for these people to justify the denigration of other African people based upon social standing and or economics. Uh, so this is important we understand that. So when we when we appeal to people to listen, we want you to you know, to you, you know, we you know we need your assistance in terms of helping the masses of people overcome A, B, and C. Well, their position is that even though they have the means in terms of assisting you in terms of doing that, their position is that, listen, that's not my fight. It's not in my interest that you want to even deal with that. I'm not going to do it. In other words, they're saying that, listen, that the society is essentially equal and that any problems that pertain to African people is self-inflicted. African people get it to themselves. And they want to believe that, and it's easy for them to believe that because if they believe that they don't have to take any responsibility in terms of what's going on. they can simply believe that you know, their problem is African people so often you have these these people on on television uh you know who uh as 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 a you know as a way of life uh- often you know you know generate African people across the board i mean call African people all kinds of names and justify, you know uh just how um just how despicable they perceive African people are, particularly African youth, and so that speaks to the class question. And so they're saying that there's something wrong around with these these youth, not understanding that they grew up in a system, and that system impacts on the way they do things, the way they act, the way they perceive things. Uh, also, when we talk about politicians, you know, one of the things you talk about politicians who say there's no racism in American society, they understand it. They understand that racism in American society, they understand the impact of racism in American society. But it's, but it's advantageous to them. It's in their interest to pretend it doesn't exist. Because a lot of things that pretend it doesn't exist, they have some value to the powers that be in society, particularly the right wing in American society, who would who then embrace them, give them a little money, a little job, and tell them, okay, okay boy, you did a good job, and uh, we approve of approve what you're doing. So you got people like Tim Scott out of South Carolina. I mean, this guy is a quintessential slave. I mean, but clearly – you know he he internalized all kinds. Of, he, he'll talk about how the greatness of, 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 of the greatness of uh, of the orange menace of uh, Donald Trump. Trump hatred for African people or anything that's that's, 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 not, anything that's non-white is legendary. He knows that, but in order for him to achieve material material things that he he a necessity a necessity, he's willing to demonize a whole a whole group of people, his own people, and pretend like well they're not my people. You know my people are the Republican Party you know, you know, people with people with wealth, people with power. Uh so you know, so so clearly, you know, so this this class dimension is something that we have to understand and that to the extent that we ha we, 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 we have these kind of these kind of uh uh prejudices in terms of against poor people, particularly poor African people, then we we certainly have to question you know, why do we feel that way in the first way? The only way we can the only way we can feel that way the reality is that in order for us to feel that way, then we've got to be uncertain in terms of our own selves, in terms of who we are. Because in order to denigrate or put down other African people, then you got to first and foremost perceive yourself as to be unworthy. So you see yourself as less than. And so therefore this desire psychologically in terms of just being like everybody else, being like the system or people who represent the system or powerful white people, so the incentive to be like them becomes extremely strong. But it happens on a psychological level. And these people are not going to confront that. I mean they might understand it you know uh, um uh, you know um they may have a visual understanding in terms of in terms of um uh in terms of you know just, just tendency in terms of the value in terms of trying to be like rich white folks, but they're not going to acknowledge that because their consciousness won't, certainly their conscience won't allow them to acknowledge that, but certainly when you look at it in terms of their behavior it's very, very clear that that the same value system that these rich white folks hold in terms of contempt for poor people. Also, it also is evident in terms of the behavior of African people who want to be so desperately much like these rich white people. And finally, let me just say this in terms of you know this question in terms of Mercedes in in Africa. Yeah, it is it is a lot of Mercedes Benz in Africa. That's for sure. <laughs> but you know, and it, and it's so and, and, one, and one of the things about it in terms of you got, and I don't want to single a particular country, African country out. There's one country I'm tempted to talk about, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the high road. I'm not going to talk about them. But but, uh, but but certainly this mentality among a lot of acting leaders that in fact that despite the horrendous poverty and suffering that going in their society, they could care less. As long as as long as they have access to your know, Western contracts or Western financing, that's all they're concerned about. The suffering of the masses of their people is totally irrelevant. And so and so when you so when they drop their Mercedes Bands and they and they and they and, and, they, and they drive through the slums and you see these, these people in desperate situation, it doesn't bother them. For them, they have pretty much internalized the notion in terms of the West being superior, and therefore you might as well go along with them because they are simply superior. And so they don't even try to fight against them. So luckily, it would last, over the last couple of months, we had, you know, with the situation Bikini, Papasso, Mali, in Bikini, Papaso, Mali, Nigeria, uh, or even in Guinea. We have these you know, very revolutionary brothers, brothers and sisters you know, who come to the forefront to say, listen, this paradigm has to change. You know, listen, we don't have to do things simply because the West do them. And certainly we have a, a, moral, a moral, if not political, obligation to the masses of our people. And so, therefore, so this notion in terms of class, in terms of us being better than the masses of our people, ends here. And you've got to admire that. And so we need more than Africa in terms of confronting this class question. Because if we don't confront the class question, then one thing is sure, the West will use them to denigrate, destroy, humiliate, other African people. And that's precisely what's going on in the world, including the United States. And I conclude.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki. We'll go to Brother Moses to get his reflection on this question of the African bourgeoisie and the class struggle We're in the African community. Your response to commentary reflection on these two issues. Brother Moses.
10: Certainly we have class struggle going on uh, there is the bourgeoisie and the petty bourgeoisie, and the proletariat. Uh, certainly, you know, we live in a society, political economy, where we 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 uh, have different aspirations and ideologies. And the petty bourgeoisie is being oppressed. They're not the big bourgeoisie, so they're being oppressed by the big bourgeoisie. So naturally, they have some revolutionary instincts and. Um, and sentiments, uh, and they express the problems because they because they're being oppressed, and that's where correct ideas come from—the class struggle. And so they objectively are being oppressed, and objectively they express real problems because because that's just the nature of the beast. And so we we but the petty bourgeoisie is incapable of leading. They can express all the problems they want, but they're incapable of leading. The history has proven it. Trotskyites and petty bourgeois revolutionaries are incapable of leading the struggle they have they they can be part of the struggle and they are part of the struggle but they're incapable of leading the struggle um, they have analysis of just like the bourgeoisie is is doesn't vote the petty bourgeoisie doesn't vote because because why should they vote there's nothing to vote for um uh, they're comfortable in their lifestyles, and and they exist they are able to exist in society um we we find that um the 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 petty bourgeoisie is Trotskyism is petty bourgeoisie revolutionism is it's it's a um, sort of failure to dialectical and historical materialists approach to life a grounded in in reality it's just not it's just a superficial lifestyle and a superficial outlook and that's not grounded in reality and so it's always left in form because they because they are pressed but when you get down to it the, the 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 ruling class doesn't want us to vote and they're doing everything they can to stop us from voting and the petty bourgeoisie is, is acquiescing, and, and anything the bourgeoisie says, they basically say, oh, that's they don't want us to boast that we have no rights, and uh, let's just go back to Africa. I'll see you later. So that's what's going on. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. And Sister Eleanor, your response to the African bourgeoisie and the class struggle in the African community?
1: Well, you know, again, the analysts are all on point, and uh, and Brother Moses just concluded with a very interesting the, the reality, and that is that the bourgeoisie and the petty bourgeoisie they don't have to vote because they're comfortable. Bourgeoisie just calls those in charge and ask and tell them, instruct them on what they're, they're they desire. It's the working class, the 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 poor, and the poor don't vote because they don't realize the power of the vote because they haven't been organized and they don't know there are any tools out here. They aren't aware of revolution and changes that could come. They're not familiar with the different economic structures and the different political structures that are available to the them and to the community, to us. So they don't participate because they feel like they, they feel and they are intelligent and they are brilliant and they realize they know nothing, so they assume that there's nothing to know that what is is. And that's not true. That's where education, organizing comes into play. And that's where respecting each individual comes into play because the organizers become those from the very, very bottom. You're not going to go into a public housing facility and get, Uh, someone from a middle-class homeowner to run the tenants association. You have to organize the tenants within that structure and set up an organization large and strong enough so that it can stand on its own with the people that live there. So um, the reality is is that... um, the bourgeoisie does not, they spend their time, and the and the petty bourgeoisie, they tend to think you, unions aren't relevant, so they stand on the backs of unions. They see unions as just a problem that takes extra money out of their paycheck rather than seeing the reality that if I support this union, I'm going to get more money and we need more money because I don't feel comfortable. And so uh, the reality is, is that all we have to do and really need to do is to organize, educate, and involve. And it starts with the very young and the very old. You're never too young and you're never too old to learn and get on the road to revolutionary thoughts and practices. This includes respecting the environment. This includes many things. And when we were talking and I was talking about tools, Brother Africa, art, Is also a tool of revolution. You saw during the Bolshevik Revolution, there were many nationalities and ethnic groups. So people had to figure out how are we going to communicate with folks? How are we going to get a single message through? And this was in 1917, in another century. And uh, they did it through the arts. And the art movement was so not only did it allow for the success of the Bolshevik Revolution
10: But the art
1: called constructionist movement The constructionist movement has had an a impact on the art uh, ever since And it was one of the three major art movements of the 20th century Cubism, constructionism and futurism and the constructionism movement came out of Russia, which uh, was uh, the founding nation of the former Soviet Union. And uh, we see now artists like Al Weewe, uh, out of China doing incredible conceptual art, Dadaism, um, speaking to uh, the atrocities of the world. He's in exile, not able to live in China. But as he says, he will always be Chinese. He speaks Chinese. He reads Chinese. And I don't know, he may even go in China. I'm not sure to that, so I can't speak to that. So uh, the bottom line is uh, organizing workers, organizing the folks in the grocery stores, in the Amazon factories, uh, in the airports, uh, organizing the postal workers, they're organized. Uh, These are the things that need to be done. Organizing the doctors into a union. Doctors no longer work independently, they're contract workers. They work for temp agencies in the U.S. that places doctors at different sites. You know, the the world has really changed so much since uh, uh, the uh, revolutionary movement of the early twentieth century, and so now um, there are new tools and new um, instruments and new enemies of the people that have to be uh, shown for what they are. The tools have to be brought up to the attention of the masses, and the destructive elements have to be also um, taught to the masses, and we have to analyze and figure out what they are. You see these mass shootings and assassinations They come right through social media and these algorithms. And just last week we saw all these tech heads, uh, uh, the the guy that owns META, formerly Facebook, and the TikToks and all of them coming before Congress because the reality is they are not taking responsibility. This is where reforms like legislative reforms are great tools to protect the people, the minds and health of the people. So uh, I'll conclude with that. Thank you, Sister
3: Eleanor. We last will go to a reflection from Brother Kwame Ture, as he spoke about Cuba and socialism.
6: We here are revolutionaries, and we understand as revolutionaries that we stand on principles. You must not get confused. The American capitalist system does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. When it tells the truth, it's the result of a double lie. It's a fact everywhere. Matter of fact, you will read in your very textbooks that they say politics is the art of compromise. Another lie. I'm a revolutionary. I understand that where principles are involved, there is no compromise. Sajifo, Kwame Nkrumah, that noble son of Africa, says, any compromise of principle is an abandonment of principle. When one speaks of principle, there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. It's either one side or the other. When the capitalist press want to attack the all-African people's revolutionary party, they tell people all the time, don't you all go listen to them. They're crazy. Especially that one Kwame Ture. He was crazy in the 60s. He's crazier in the 90s. <laughs> well, you know, they call Malcolm crazy, so they're not going to call me sane. <laughs> and I'll never be sane in a system that's insane. That's clear. <laughs> they said, oh, he's just extremist. You know, for him, everything is one side or the other. It's either white or black. Ain't nothing gray. It's either hot or cold. Ain't nothing warm. It's either wet or dry. Ain't nothing damp. They're correct. We're revolutionaries, and we fight for principles, and there is no compromise. You know this well as students. When you recount a story, either you lie or you tell the truth. Where's the middle ground? On a test... Either you cheat or you do not. There is no gray area. And there ain't no such thing like I did a little cheating on the test. (laughs) Either you believe in God or you do not. But the capitalist system will confuse you. A sister the other day tried to make middle ground. said, Oh, I heard what you said about God, but let me tell you something. It's true that I believe in God, but I have my doubts. I told her, once you start doubting God, you have stopped believing in God. There is no middle ground in principle. If your people are oppressed, and you are not struggling to help alleviate the sufferings of your people, by your very active in actions, you are against your people. The point must be properly comprehended. The point must be properly driven home. Because the capitalist system will let you think that I ain't against the people, but I ain't doing nothing for them. If you ain't doing nothing for them, you're against them. If your mother is being raped, and you put your hands behind your back, and you look at the television and say, I ain't got nothing to do with it, you're against your mother. If your people are being raped and you're looking at television enjoying a time, you're against your people. It's as simple as that. The only way we will advance as a people is when we come ourselves to take our advancement into our hands in a scientific manner. For us, there is no in-between on socialism or capitalism. We know this. Socialism is nothing but an economic system like capitalism. There can only be two in the world, only two. And there can only be two because each economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the means of production? Who will own and control the wealth of the country? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everybody will own. It's as simple as that. Of course, they will confuse you. America prides herself on being the richest country in the world. She ought to be. She's the biggest thief in the world. <laughs> Stole my mama. That's right. I know what I'm talking about. She belittles Cuba because Cuba's a poor country. Big that. Like if something has to do with how much money you get, even if you steal it. Well, in America, you know, it's so corrupt that everybody makes money by stealing, but the more you get, the less people ask you how you got it. <laughs> so they come to condemn Fidel Castro. Some people even think that because Cuba is poor, America can just walk in there and shoot them up. Vietnam was poor. That's right. Vietnam was very poor. When I was in Vietnam, North Vietnam, because, you know, I didn't go to fight the Vietnamese. They didn't mean nothing. I know my enemy. I'm not confused. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm not confused. When they call me, listen, I was in Mississippi getting terrorized trying to get my people to vote. They call me up in New York in the draft boards. What you call me for? Well, you got to go to Vietnam and fight for democracy, give them the right to vote. <laughs> And they said it with a straight face. <laughs> all right, thank you. <laughs> all right, you go, ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> so I never got confused with them. No. But the Vietnamese whooped America on one bowl of rice a day. That's right. I don't know what makes them think the Cubans can't whoop them on half a bowl. <laughs> and as for all you little Cubans out here always planning, look here, they've been planning on Castro since the Bay of Pigs. Let them plan on. <laughs> they will keep on planning. Fidel Castro is a great man, and all people who love justice respect him. (laughs) Look at the situation. Cuba is a poor country. Of that, there is no question. But do you know in Cuba, every child from the time they're born until they die will have perfect health care free of charge to every level. They won't even pay for medicine. It's a poor country. Cuba is a poor country, but if you were a student in Cuba, you wouldn't pay a penny for your education, not a penny. When you look at poor Cuba and see its concerns for its citizens, and you look at rich America and see its homeless, of which Cuba has none, you can see the difference between capitalism and socialism. <laughs> socialism is an inevitable system. Don't you worry about these Cubans out here. Listen. They have so much disrespect for us that, you know, they're the only group in the country that picketed Mandela. I mean, more poor Mandela. Look at him. <laughs> I mean, if they picket Mandela, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> well, Mandela's calling for peace. I'm calling for shotgun. Fire him up. Shoot them all. <laughs> Welcome
3: back to Africa on the Moon We you. Listen to some reflections by Brother Kwame Ture as we begin to celebrate this month of African History Month. He was just speaking on the issue of Cuba and socialism, but in this case, we back out the panel respond to the whole question of Cuba in terms of its potency to the world and what we can learn and why Cuba is important to oppressed people, particularly a role he has played for African-African people. Your reflection on the statement from Brother Kwame Ture on Cuba and socialism, Brother Anthony. Yes,
5: um, Cuba Cuba census revolution has shown uh, the advantages to the working people of uh, socialism versus capitalism, which is one of the reasons why it's hated by uh, the U.S. bourgeoisie as much as it is. Uh, But uh, also, Cuba has, since its uh, revolution, has given... uh, uh assi- uh aid and assistance to a- uh to african countries uh uh and uh and uh, other uh, and and caribbean countries in the african diaspora as well and uh that is why cuba is so loved by african people worldwide because it has uh it has at, at great risk to itself uh given support and solidarity to various african political movements through, throughout the world and as a matter of fact it's a home uh, it, it um it it provided a shelter for uh for for those forces that were fighting against capitalism inside the US such as um Fred, uh, Fred Williamson and uh Sada Shakur and numerous others and uh, and cuba has uh shown its uh its willingness to sacrifice uh uh its resources for the sake of humanity and uh, and this in itself shows the superiority of socialism versus capitalism uh because if- uh if Cuba w- uh had remained a neocolonial state, there's no way it could do it could provide the assistance that it has throughout the world and maintain uh the standard of living that uh that the that the people in Cuba enjoy today. And uh, it is uh, significant that even though Cuba is a poor country, as Carmen Torre points out, they they uh, because of the the, uh, so socialism, they have the resources to spare uh to uh to provide assistance to other countries that are struggling uh you know uh and uh and this is uh this shows the superiority of socialism over capitalism and why cuba is admired throughout the world
3: thank you brother anthony next we go to brother haki your reflection on this question of Cuba and socialism, Brother Hackie, based upon reflections on what you heard from Brother Kwame QA. The mic is yours.
9: Yeah, well, it, essentially, you know, it comes down to crass individualism versus collectivism. Uh, when you think about a country like Cuba, uh, based upon the, 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 the very minimum, I mean, the menial uh, resources that has access given U.S. blockade, you know, of Cuba. Cuba use those resources as, as, as they use those resources in a way which benefits the collective, all the Cuban people. So therefore, when you talk about health care, uh, going to university and, and those things being free, uh, it's a reflection in terms of this concern for the collective and not just an individual. When you contrast that with what's happening in America in terms of the class individualism, which is all about individuals, you have a situation where essentially the, 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 those individuals who have access to all the wealth of society simply use that wealth of society to, to, to buy up all the assets, uh, you know, to, to to increase the investments, to make more wealth for themselves. But in terms of money flowing through the system, it actually reduces the amount of money flowing through the system. So as a consequence, there's no way possible in the context of American society to provide for the mass of the people because all the money is being concentrated among certainly the top 10% of the population. And so clearly, you know, so when we talk about in terms of the inequality that's implicit in, in, in capitalism, we have to understand that, you know, when you talk about in terms of system, a so-called wealthiest country in the world, when you talk about the homelessness, the poverty, and you talk about lack of quality schools and lack of affordable housing, when you talk about such a thing in the context of a wealthy society, then you got to yourself reasonably. What the hell is going on here? How could how could this be? How could it be a little small country who's suffering from this blockade, who has very scant resources, are able to do these magnificent things for its for his people? But the roughest planet country on the planet can't do anything for its people. We have massive unemployment, massive homelessness, you know, despair, you know, all through the place, all throughout the country. So clearly, you know, uh, it, it, you know, so Cuba is a is shining example in terms of you know uh, what you know co- how important a is to the, to, the, to the aspirations of humanity, you know. And I think also, Brother Africa, I think that one of the things when, when you talk about, you know, about co- collectivism, I think one of the things is that you have to internalize as a human being when you talk about collectivism, you got to share, you got to have a, a co- not only a common humanity, but you have to have a respect for all life. In that context, you know, it works because the Cuban people are, are being educated to respect all life. And so, when you respect all life, you have a problem in terms of sharing uh, with people who, 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 you know, because they also, just like you, also need a certain things in terms of being a human being. But when you live in a system like America, which you, which you don't, we are, where we're not respected to, to to respect or to respect common life, or uh, then of course, we can justify almost any any kind, any of inequality, any kind of suffering, any kind of injustices. It doesn't bother us because we think, in fact, that because things define us who we are that the more things we, ha- we have, the better off we are, then those people who don't have access to those things were well, tough, tough. It's their fault, and so therefore they should suffer. So the philosophical is a very different mindset in terms of Cuba versus the United States. And clearly, you know, as this, as this economy deconstructs, I think the rulers did a very good job in terms of disguising the kinds of as, this, as this economy deconstructs. People really think that the economy is really improving. But if you look behind the scenes in terms of, intimately looking at it in terms of social economic bear, uh, uh, indicators, when you look at it in terms of the money supply in the society, when you look at it in terms of the, the, the impact of interest rates having on the society, then you fully understand that this system is in decline. But they're not going to tell you that. But it's important that people understand it's in decline and prepare for it and the inevitable. Uh, we understand that they're going to pit one group against the other. That's what they have to do. We understand that they're going to promote Donald Trump because that's what they got to do. But we have to understand fundamentally, given the deconstruction of this economy as it declines, then we got to understand we, we must be prepared for whatever comes down the road. And I conclude.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki, Brother Moses, Cuba and socialism, and your reflection on what you just heard from Brother Kwame Ture, Brother Moses. Are you there, Brother Moses? Right, let's go to um, Sister Eleanor. Uh, hello,
10: hello, discussion? hello, hello.
3: Yes, Brother Moses.
10: Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I think you know we have to recognize that uh, the, the subject you the last question you were asking was what
3: we discussed in Cuba.
10: Oh in right, country. right, right, right. Cuba. Yeah, Cuba. Um the, the Cuba Cuba is is a socialist country and uh has socialist principles and we we have to rely on those socialist principles uh, and, and when interacting with people in human relations, federal we have to be uh sincere and above board and um just and fair and ideal and and uh the 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 path to socialism means we have to be honest, we have to be fair, we have to we have to express ourselves and um, and keep participate in the struggle to change things. And uh, because that's the only way things change, we have to actively engage. And um, I don't know. I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. I don't your response as relates to Cuba and socialism. Well, you know,
1: Cuba Cuba is a wonderful example to uh, liberation. Cuba not only um, provides, as the other analyst said, free education for its people from birth to to grade, it also provides education for other folks and for people of African and indigenous descent around the world. It provides medical education. So in the United States of America, many of the uh, African doctors, African American doctors, were educated at the uh, medical school of the Americas in Cuba. So uh, it's done a phenomenal job. And uh, in terms of imperialism when you look at U.S. imperialism and compare it to the Cuban economy you see here we uh, homelessness is a growing problem and it has become a part of the cultural and social economic paradigm that homelessness has actually been incorporated into the economic system where the homeless are required to work to continue to be homeless and live you know in other words the homeless must pay to be homeless and sheltered uh and that poverty is uh, very much in the surplus labor economy is very much a part of the u.s economy you saw during the pandemic pandemic cuba was able to provide its own vaccine to uh, people in vietnam as well as people in South America while the U.S., uh, we were getting uh, our our, uh, Moderna and Pfizer uh, COVID vaccine to Africa just before its expiration date. And uh, so Cuba is an example of of a successful worker economy even with the uh, 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 embargo. Now, I can't imagine what the world would see without the embargo, but you can see when you use Cuba as a, 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 a nation-state model, comparing it to United States as a nation-state, how uh, people are better educated, um, they have access to transportation and other resources that are not available in the United States. We've spent such a great amount of money on militarization, militarization of the police in the United States as well as just uh, on our military. We have a uh, a military-driven economy, and um, everything in the capitalist economy is based on poverty, the prison industrial complex is based on impoverished prisoners. We went from sharecropping to uh, the prison industrial complex. There are uh, tens of thousands of people who have gone through that simply for uh, smoking marijuana. So they become slaves to the prison system, for example. Here in the United States, things like telephones, access to transportation, having a library card um, are kept from people. The one thing that the US is using to keep from people right now, to keep the vote from people, is something that elders, the poor, and and black or African people of of uh descendants of the former uh, cattle slavery system can have and do have is access to id so many states do not require id to vote, but what they're doing in thirty nine states is if you do not have state issued id or passport, you're unable to vote. So you see, uh, this is part of seeing uh, capitalist society advance to uh, imperialism and and advance to fascism. And this is uh, what we see happening here in the United States. Cuba is about love of the people. It shifts educators and scientists and doc and we ship B-1 bombers and drones
3: thank you my sister we'd like to thank everyone who participated during this segment of Kwame Terrain Reflection and we thought we'd have this discussion because again one of the things about our history is that we must begin to write our own history and also, most definitely, when we talk about our history, we should go directly to the source, primary sources. And don't let other people define what is our history and what is not. So we'd like to thank everyone. And right now, what we're going to do, move to our last segment. And it'll be a very short one, but it's going to be a very important one. There seems to be a level of consciousness raising within the various countries in Africa, where African countries are now planning to place heavy sanctions on the West is this a good idea, and how can we support that? That's the question we would like to ask our political panelists and analysts today when we come back. If African countries plan to place heavy sanctions on the West, is this a good strategic idea, and how can we support it? We'd like to have that response. And this is part two of Africa is Fighting on Many Fronts. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move.
0: Needs her, needs her freedom Palestine, Palestine needs our love needs our, our love. love Palestine Palestine, Palestine. Palestine. Needs, her needs her freedom Palestine, Palestine. Palestine. needs our love People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine
3: That's right. I need uh, freedom, need uh, love, need uh, support, and let's organize so we can be effective and happy to relieve the suffering of the Palestinian people. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We only have a few minutes left. But the one the crucial question that we want to ask today, we want to direct our listening audience to go to YouTube and check out this video that is titled African Countries Plan to Place Heavy Sanctions. On the West. Now, many times we often wonder how can we go about liberating ourselves from Western Western powers. There seems to be some level of consciousness raising, raising, raising that is taking place on the continent, where one of the valuable tools we have upon ourselves is our own natural resources, and they begin to look at. Should we, too, use the game and the tool of sanctions to punish the West and position ourselves to be in a better position to get respect and to be equal when it comes to economic trade? So, panelists, I ask you all to be real disciplined, take about a minute, a minute, and a half, and just give us your response to this question. Should African countries use sanctions as a tool against the West, and how can we support them if and when they do? Brother Anthony. Oh, uh, uh, could you repeat your question, please, sir? Should African countries use their natural resources as a tool against the West and have sanctions, just like the West has sanctioned them many times to put them in an unequal position? And if they do, how can you support them?
5: Yes, they should. Uh, However uh one and this is um and this is uh where uh pan-africanism comes into play uh if uh if africa was united under a socialist society then it would be uh it, it, it 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 instead of instead of 54 different entities it would be one entity with one uniform foreign policy, one economic policy, and one military policy, and uh, it would make uh, and it would make uh, you know uh, sanctions more effective on Africa's side uh but uh right now the way uh the way Africa is fragmented uh you know it would be difficult for uh uh for it to engage in sanctions on its so uh, however uh there are things that people can do uh uh, one is uh africans in the diaspora can educate themselves about africa and uh its resources and uh and give support uh to the uh to the uh to african countries where possible but again uh uh, uh you know without um you know uh political unification uh uh, I, uh africa cannot uh, uh you know uh you know uh, uh uh you know engage in sanctions against uh imperialist countries
3: thank you brother, Anthony. brother I've had to stop you right there brother Anthony, because we run out of time we won't get each one a few minutes. To okay. a response to the question, thank you very much, Brother Haki. If you can do it by a minute, minute and a half, give your response to whether that sanction can be a valuable tool for African countries to use, and if so, how can we support them? Brother, sanctions could be
9: valuable. Yeah, sanctions could be valuable, but I think uh, in order for it to work, uh, bank, uh, Africa has to have is, uh own have control its own central banks. I mean, without control of central banks, in terms of coordinating with, uh, uh, you know, uh, diverse financial transactions, it becomes extremely possible to execute as sanctions. Uh, so that's my view, and i close with that.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki. Same question to you, Brother Moses. Your issue on sanctions can it be a tool to be used against the West, and if so, how can we support it? Brother Moses.
10: Yeah, I think it's definitely a tool that the West has been using against Africa, and we have to – tip for test struggle against these fascists. And uh, still so we need to boycott the best and sanction Israel. That's the first first land that we need to go agree on. But, yes, sanction is a tool, and we must use it. Thank you.
3: Sister Eleanor, your response. You got one minute, Sister Eleanor. Your response. Yes,
1: sanctions are a tool that Africa uses against the West. Uh, and use their commodities as a tool and set a base price for commodities, but that has to be done collectively. Where um, there is an alliance, starting with uh, 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 Niger said, uh, uh, "What's the the bottom line going to be for titanium? What's the bottom line going to be for uh, for?" commodities that are essential to running our cars, lighting our homes, uh, to cobalt and these things. Yes, it is a real possibility, but it depends on collective work and the the individual nations divesting themselves of the colonial uh, leaders that are vested with Western nations. When they are... As they are uh, voted out or removed from office, you will see uh, new leaders covert you'll see uh, sanctions against the West. And definitely, um, like uh, it's tit for tat, as Brother Moses said, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So it's time to start shedding off the resources. And uh, eliminating it can also be an excellent tool against the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank.
3: Thank you very much, okay. and to our listening audience, we'd like to thank you for allowing us to come to your homes this evening. Where we can speak, where we could speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We'd like to make a quick announcement that for those who interest are interested in going to Cuba the African Awareness Association in conjunction and working with the Million World March in supporting supporting them and they are organizing a freedom ride for all students, African students, women, activists who would like to go to Cuba and participate in some of the important events that are coming up. Like for May Day, that will be uh, May the 1st. The trip will take place from the 27th of April to May the 5th. It's interesting going. To Cuba, please email mwm at AOL, email the Neverwoman March, your movement, and they will send you information about the trip. I also would like to say congratulations to the 25th anniversary to Venezuela, and we wish you many more. And for more information on an excellent article that was written by the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party and giving a salute to their 25th anniversary, Two days ago on the 4th, please go to our website at www.a-a-prp-gc.org. And last but not least, again, we'd like to ask our listeners to help spread the word, help our listenership by sharing our program with your network. If you would like to have copies of this program of others, Please just email us at move 2 at gmail.com. So until next time, like always, we will give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. We understand the best weapon that you can give your people is to be organized, so let's get organized. And again, please check out this article, African countries plan to place here the sanctions on the West, on YouTube. So until next time, we will continue to go forward, backward, novel. This has been Africa on the move. Hey.